ornery. I, I bet he was too. <laughs> How many times did you go to the principal, Daryl? <laughs> How you doing? You look great, man. You're singing so well. It's so fun to be together on a beautiful day, and so we're just delighted. We we are in a series called Others. You can kind of see it back there, and uh, <laughs> I had someone last service, so we may do this, and no one else will know it. But I, I just it's such a good surprise. I got to tell you, he said on Mother's Day you could just put an M in front of that. <laughs> So we might do that. Anyway, Others is a series that we've been in really about the life of Barnabas. And uh, Barnabas, what was his real name? I want you to know this. Joseph. That's right. But they called him Barnabas. Good job. They called him Barnabas because Barnabas means son of encouragement. His friends, he encouraged his friends so much that they said, we're going to actually nickname you Encourager. And so they called him Barnabas, and that's the name that we read in the Bible. But anyway, he was always thinking about other people, thus the series we're in. And it poses the question, how do I live my life? Do I live it for me, or do I live it for others? There's a time to work on you, but don't live your whole life that way. I'm so thankful to you guys for being a church that knows it's not just all about us inside the walls, but that it's about everything that goes on outside the walls, that we exist to impact our community and impact our world. That's why we're here. And so thank you for getting that right. But today, it's interesting, I've called this message, When You Least Expect It. How many of you have had one of those? <laughs> we, we all have. I remember as a kid, I was in junior high, and I we lived in Grand Junction, Colorado, West Slope, and we lived kind of up on this hill on a couple acres, and back behind my house was... You could ride motorcycles out there and hike and went down into these canyons. It was a great place to grow up besides the rattlesnakes. But anyway, um, I had a couple of buddies that we would always camp out in the summer. But in the winter, we would just take a hike on Saturdays. And I remember this one time we came around this corner and there was this pond. We'd never been there before. It was very cold out. There was this pond that was frozen. And the, there was a river down there, but the pond was over here, so we knew it wasn't part of the river. But it was probably the size of like half of this auditorium right here. So pretty good sized pond. Well, when you're in 7th or 8th grade and there's three of you, someone says, let's try to cross the pond. <laughs> We're like, you go first. No, you go first. Then it's like competition. Right? And so, so we're out there edging our way across, and we're like planning it out, get 15 feet away. We don't want to be in this, you know, the weight will come down and it will break the ice. We're walking out there. We're feeling really secure, feeling really good. It's holding us fine. We're out in the middle of the pond when all of a sudden we start hearing these, 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 these cracks. I mean, have you ever been on ice when it's really popping? It is loud. I mean, I just couldn't believe how loud it was. So we knew at that stage in our lives that you're supposed to lay down flat, you know. Guess what we did? We ran. We're just like, we're out of here. We're just busting through there, putting these holes in the ice as we run. We made it. But it was such a shock. I still look back on that, and it makes me laugh because I think, I thought I was so secure. I thought everything was fine. I thought there was no problem. And all of a sudden, when I least had expected it, boom, that ice started to break. I can tell you, that's how it is sometimes when we walk with God. You, you take a chance with God. You sign up for a ministry. You're going to do the orphan walk. You're going you're to step out there, and it seems like, boom, all hell breaks loose. And I mean that literally. Hell is coming to stop what you're trying to do for heaven. 
Have you ever noticed that when, like Bonnie and I, when, after we first got married, we recognized that being a pastor, obviously, it's a, it's a weird life. It takes weird people. And so I said to Bonnie, look, we're going to have a different life. We, we don't ride to church together. We don't drive together. She's got to get the kids ready on Sundays because I'm here early. All this stuff that you have to deal with. Well, it seemed like every week we would just get along great until Saturday. And then here I'm trying to preach and be ready and be at my best. And we get in this big fight on Saturday. And I'm thinking, honey, I have to be happy tomorrow. We've got to fix this. But it seems like whenever, whenever you have something that you're trying to accomplish for God, it seems like the enemy comes in and really tries to take it away. And stress comes when you're trying to do your best. Why do things go wrong? And where is God when things go wrong? Where is God when you don't know He's there or you can't see Him or you can't feel Him and the ice is breaking? Is He, is he some kind of a, a sadist who, who just wants to torture us? Or see a loving God who cares? We've got to answer some of those questions today. Number one, in your notes, if you have a program, go to the back page, follow along. The first thing I want you to jot down is this. Not everyone supports the message of truth. Now, I know this is probably not a huge surprise to you, but I think it's worth talking about for a second. There are people in our community who would be called God-haters. We love them. We pray for them, we care, but they absolutely, they don't just dislike it, they hate it. And the, and the fact that we have a faith in God, they just can't hardly stand it. They call us foolish, they call us names, there's a war, and they would launch that war. We're not in it though, you've got to know that. We're not in it. We simply trust God. Paul and Barnabas are experiencing a revival in this community... And things are going great. People are coming to faith. And all of a sudden, boom, the enemy pops up. And they're wanting to kill Paul and Barnabas. So let's, let's read it. Acts 14, if you have a Bible, verse 1. The same thing happened in Iconium. Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogue and preached with such power that a great number of both Jews and Greeks, which is interesting because Gentiles were coming to faith now, they became believers. Some of the Jews, however, spurned God's message and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas. Now, most scholars don't know how they did this exactly. If it was rumors that they started about Paul and Barnabas, was it some moral thing that they accused them of? Was it financial? Was it something they said about their integrity or their character? Or was it simply a theological point of view? No one really knows. But we know this. It was effective. And I don't know if you've ever had something said about you that wasn't true, but it's painful. And the, what you want to do is defend yourself and, and get even, but that's not always the right answer. Um, there's, there seemed like they were trying to... Have you ever heard the phrase, um, is it one step forward, two steps back? They were kind of going two steps forward, one step back. They were making progress but not a lot of it. And so it was important for them to get this right. Well, I remember feeling some of this. I, if you were around this summer, when the story broke that we were going to buy the hunt club, the strip club in town, they, the owners closed the club, and we said we would like to buy it. And the, the media immediately jumped all over this. They came up from Denver, and there was cameras in there. They wanted a war between the church and the club. 
And there was no war. We were simply the buyer of a building. But they didn't want that. They wanted a war. They wanted a war. And finally, when they realized there's no story here, they all went away. Because they really weren't interested in talking about the launch of a new church, which would bring hope and care. They were really interested in creating a a battle. And I think so often we have to be aware that Satan is out to get us. Now, I'm not a demon chaser. Like, I know people who make everything so spiritual that, you know, a demon's putting that in your thought and the bad guy on this side and you've got to say no and every day you're rebuking Satan. And I'm not that way, but I do know this. Spiritual warfare is real. You are in a battle. And it's a battle in your mind. And there are things that you need to understand that when you reach out, when you try to trust God, it's not going to go over well. Some of you have family members that despise your faith. How are you going to handle that? Are you just going to write them off? Are you going to say mean things back to them? Some of you work with people where there are bullies about your faith in the workplace. You know, we have some awesome CSU and community college professors, a part of our church family. Thank you all. We love you. But we also have a few professors out there that just absolutely don't like students that believe in God. And they do everything in their power to twist it and turn it. and It's hurtful. And so stay strong, students, but we can't be hateful back. But here's the point. How will I handle this in my life when things don't go my way? The second thing in your notes is this. Live consistent and depend on the power of the Spirit. One of the ways that you can win the battle is just to be still, be quiet, don't whine, but be faithful. Look at what it says in the text in verse 3. It says, but the apostles stayed there, how long? doesn't say, but it says, a long time. Sometimes you can outlive the enemy. Just by being there and being faithful, being consistent. Preaching boldly, that's powerful. What did they preach about? The what? Say it with me. The grace. That's huge. It wasn't the judgment. It was the grace. See, we need grace. People who are lost need to know there is a gracious God who says, come to me. Don't change and then come to me because you don't have the power to change. Don't clean up your life and then try God. Come to me and I'll help you clean up your life. That's the power of the gospel. That's how it works. And the Lord proved their message was true by giving them power to do miraculous signs and wonders. This verse has four things. I'm going to say them real fast. They're not in your notes, but... Four things that will always impact a community. Number one is stay there a long time. You know, one of the things that makes Timberline uh, a wonderful, wonderful place and a force to be reckoned with in in a great way is that we've been here a long time doing good in our community. I've actually had people come up to me. It's kind of funny because it's happened a lot, and I'll say something like this. You know, I'm not a church person. I don't really believe in the God thing. But I do want to say thank you for the work Timberline's done because... They've done a lot of stuff in our community. It's made it a better community. But I don't really believe in the God thing. I just got to go, okay, okay, well, that's fine. But it's this idea that we've been here long enough to prove our integrity and character, that we're here for the long haul, and we really do care about homelessness. We really do care about orphans. We really, it's, this isn't just a hobby. This is our passion. This is our life. It's why we are here. And guess what? We are not going away. Because we are here, our community should be different. 
And that's the empowerment of the Lord. The second thing is to preach boldly. That's just telling your story. That doesn't mean being obnoxious. I don't like obnoxious Christians. But it means sharing your faith, telling your story, what God has done in your life. The third one is preach the grace of the Lord. If we lead with grace, let's be a gracious church, accepting of people. I I appreciate you guys so much for just embracing people who might not look like you, act like you, smell like you, but you love them anyway and you care about them. The fourth one is just that God gave them signs and wonders. The empowerment of the Spirit. Okay, the, the third thing in your outline is this. When people take sides... When people take sides, because it's about to happen in their little community here. How many of you know that people can be fickle? Yeah, it's really true, isn't it? And you're never sure what's going to happen when there are a lot of people around. But look at verse 4. But the people of the town were divided in their opinion about them. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. See, what was happening is the town was changing because people were coming to faith and not everybody was happy about it. This was a spiritual battle. This isn't about what color we're going to change the carpet to in the church. This is about how is our community going to be led? And what is the impact? What are we going to believe about God here? So people were really taking sides and they were getting angry as we see. The fourth and final thing in your notes is this, and I want to talk about this. A time to fight, a time to flee. We have to have the wisdom to know when to take a stand and stand firm and be immovable, unshakable. But we also need to have moments where we have the wisdom of God that says, go, get out of here. It's not good for you to stay. If you study the children of Israel, there were times when they were told to stay and fight. There were times when they were told to pick up and leave. And I think we need to have that discernment in our lives. And as a church, when are we aggressive? When do we pull back? Verse 5. Then a mob of Gentiles and Jews, along with their leaders, decided to attack and stone them. Think about Paul and Barnabas being stoned for preaching the gospel. Now, I guess in Colorado, I should be careful when I say they were stoned. This has nothing to do with legalized marijuana, just so you know. Nothing. Stoning was a form of death. The first martyr in the church was Stephen. He was stoned to death. When the apostles learned it, they fled to the region of Lysonia, to the towns of Lystra and Derbe and the surrounding area. Now look at verse 7. Here they are, run out of town, being threatened to be killed. You would think it would say, and they went there and hid in fear. But it says, and there they preached the good news. It's kind of like, let's go do this over here. You ran us out of this town. We, we can't stop talking about the good news of Jesus Christ. What a, what, a, what a deep something in our lives. You guys, here's the big question. Why didn't God give Paul and Barnabas the empowerment to stay in that town and face those people with those stones? You know, why, why couldn't it be like a movie and all of a sudden Barnabas just looks at those haters and goes, fire comes out of his hands. You know what I mean? Just, wham! Wouldn't that get the attention? God didn't do that. They left. Where is God when life is really tough? Where is God when you are being threatened? Is He still there? 
want to tell you a story. Let's start it with a video. This garage is significant to me because it was the beginning of an event that truly changed my life. Fear is rampant in our world, and we all feel it as humans. It's, it's common to the human experience. So what do we do with that? It was the middle of the day. It was a sunny day. I drove up into my driveway. I just dropped off lunch to my kids. And I was coming from school. And I filled my arms with all my books. I was heading into the garage thinking about all the things I had to do that day. And I stopped midway in the garage. And I believe nothing but God caused me to totally turn around and look up my street. And when I looked up the street, I saw a little car up the street. A man was getting out of the car. His head appeared to be dark, and he was riveted on me. When I looked up and saw him getting out of his car, he was staring at me intently. Uh, There was, again, there was this darkness that was around him. And even though it was at a distance, something just made my heart stop. I felt like by the time I closed the garage door, he would be in the garage with me. So I turned back around. I went down the driveway. I was walking down. He was coming up very fast. When he was about two feet from me, I recognized him. When I saw him, I just dropped all those defenses, all those red flags that I'd had. He said, I was just up the street, I was working on some cabinets, and I just thought I'd come by and ask you about those tapes that you lent to me. I I just felt like here's someone that is a, a friend, and he's interested in some tapes, and I said, sure, come on in. So when I got inside the house, I turned around to where our stereo was and reached up to grab the first tape. And I said, I think this is the first tape that I gave you. And as those words were exiting my mouth, he came up behind me. He held a knife to my neck. His head was was right here. And he, he said, Rose, don't struggle, don't scream, don't resist. Just walk upstairs. And instinctively, I just reached up, put my hands on his arm, and I just screamed, no, don't do this, and pushed his arm away. And I still remember him holding the knife right in front of my face. And with the knife at my neck, I remember thinking, I would rather die than go upstairs with this man. And so I started fighting with everything I had. I remember the the, the sense of just fighting for your life coming upon me and with everything just pushing him away and fighting um, and then being banged up next to the, the stereo as he came and his knife was facing me. This isn't a dream. This is real. This knife is sharp. I started to pray. I prayed it out loud and I prayed it with a pretty loud voice. And as I look back on it, the voice that came out of my mouth was um, a strong voice and it wasn't weak and shaky and I said most holy God uh, in the name of Jesus I ask that you bind the power of Satan in this man fill him with the spirit of God Lord I ask that you send your holy angels to surround me and keep me safe and God I ask that you let this man know you love him and you don't want him to destroy his life by doing this when we have gone through experiences in our life that have been devastating 
traumatic, damaging? Is that just something that we live with for the rest of our lives? Or is there hope to get past that? As incredible as it sounds, Rose's account of that morning is absolutely accurate. I know I was there. My name is Matt, and I'm the man who attacked Rose that day. I looked at him and I said, God loves you. He doesn't want you to destroy your life by doing this thing. Would you please give a warm welcome to Rose Polly? When I was reading the verses that Pastor Derry talked about today, I was so struck with something. Those disciples just couldn't be quiet because they had a message that they believed in. They had a message they were excited about. Jesus had saved their lives. Jesus had set them free. And no matter what the opposition, they just had to talk about it. And I know the feeling. That video that you just watched was an event that happened in my life 18 and a half years ago. September of 1995, right here in Fort Collins. And it was something that did change the course of my life. And I stand here today knowing that if it was not for the intervention of God, I wouldn't be facing you today. I wouldn't be standing here. If God had not intersected this event, I believe there would have been a story written on the front page of the Colorado. And, and I would have been in the story. And it would have been a one of devastation. But God had a different plan. And he was taking us both on a journey. After that event in my house, that encounter, I was able to escape out of the front door. I went out to the curb out in front, and I just sat down on the curb. It was in the middle of the day, and I looked, and the man that had been in my house came and sat beside me. And I looked over at him, and I said, I don't remember your name, but i got to pray for you. What's your name? And he told me his name was Matt. And I just started praying. I said, Most Holy God, thank you for saving my life. And then I prayed for him. And that day on the curb, I was able to look over at him and share with him about a God that would save his life, too. A few days later, he was arrested. And then months later, it went to trial, and he was sentenced to six years in prison. But God continued to write the story. And there's things that he needed to do in my life. And he didn't just save my life that day and then dump me out to be bound in this place of fear connected with that event. A paralyzing, minimizing, diminishing fear that would have just robbed the life out of me. God began pouring his perfect love into my life. And as he did that, I found that the fear started becoming dispelled, melting away. And then he took me on a journey, teaching me more and more about trust and faith. And he taught me that I could step out one more step with him, and he was faithful. And one more step, and he was faithful, deepening my trust. But he didn't just stop there. God did something that I believe is a miracle in my life. He changed my heart. He gave me his heart for Matt. And instead of the resentment and the bitterness and the need for revenge or retaliation that would have just eaten me up on the inside... He gave me a compassion that I know was only from him. It wasn't a compassion of my own making. And I began to pray for Matt, and for almost a year we prayed for him in prison. But God didn't just stop there. He did something else. 
He freed me from the bondage of unforgiveness. He taught me what it means to forgive. And I learned what forgiveness is and what it is not. I learned that forgiveness is not condoning wrong or minimizing evil or diminishing what has happened in my life. Forgiveness doesn't just sweep it aside and say it doesn't matter or call something by a different name. But what forgiveness does mean is a release of that person from their debt to me. By severing that debt and trusting that I could put Matt in the hands of God, and I knew that God would be just and right in how he dealt with Matt, something happened in my life. When I let him go into God's hands and severed that, I was no longer connected with that event in my life, held bondage to that, but I was free to move forward. Something happened that set me free to live my life. But God didn't just stop there. He did something else. Throughout this course of time and this journey and this process of forgiveness and change within me, he started revealing a true identity. I learned that my identity isn't based on what has happened to me in my past, those devastating events, or even choices that I've made in my past. That's not what defines me. What defines me is what he has done. And I learned that my identity, my true identity, is a daughter of the Most High God, a daughter of the King. And that changed everything. It changed how I thought. It changed how I acted. It changed how I interacted with other people and how I chose to walk through life. It became a security. That identity meant everything. But God wasn't finished yet. He is a big God and he is a powerful God and his ways are so much greater than ours. And he never ceases to amaze us. He had something else in store. When Matt went to prison, several years into his prison sentence, when he was in the deepest, darkest place of his life, God intersected that place. God met him where he was at. And God broke through the deepest, darkest place of his addiction. Matt surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. And when he released his life to Jesus Christ, he found out that there is power in the name of Jesus. Because that addiction was broken at the very core. That addiction that had driven him and held him in bondage and just destroyed his life. When he had come to my house, he didn't care if he ever lived again. He had lost all hope. But that day in prison, when he released his life to Christ, that addiction was broken and he knew something had been changed. And then he began a journey, a journey of walking through that new freedom, learning what does that look like. There was challenges, there were difficulties, there were things that took place that were tough. But God was teaching him how to walk out the freedom that he had purchased. And Matt gave, told me something that really amazed me, and that was, he said, Rose, I was more free in prison right after I received Jesus Christ Behind bricks and mortar and bars, I was more free than I was ever out in that free world. God wasn't finished writing that story, and God gave Matt a new identity, too. And instead of his identity and what defined him being a convicted felon, or based on what he had done, or what had been done to him, he started learning that he is a son of the Most High God, a son of the King. There was something else that needed to happen. This story was brought full circle. 
And 16 years after it happened, we met together with our spouses in a village inn where we got to share the story. And we shared tears together as we talked about what the Lord had done. And he said, Rose, I always thought that I had ruined your life. I had destroyed your life and your family's life. And I had been living in shame and guilt for so long. And I said, you didn't destroy my life. Well, I would never want to do it again. I wouldn't pluck that out of my life for anything because of how God has used it for good. What the enemy intended for evil, God has used for good. And we wept tears together as I got to hear the other side of the story. We learned that day that we are both on level ground at the foot of the cross. Both of us dependent on the mercy and the grace, the forgiveness of God. Matt learned that there was a true forgiveness and he could receive it into his life. And shame was broken and guilt was broken. And we are both in the same place. I have received that same forgiveness. Both of us dependent on God. And both of us overflowing with gratitude for what he's done. And just like those disciples of long ago, both Matt and I can say, God has saved our lives. God has set us free. And we can't stop telling the story. You know, it's fascinating. Yeah. (laughs) It's really fascinating in planning this months ago now. We, at this point, we're going to say, please give a warm welcome to Matt. And he was going to come up and greet you. But Matt is really struggling these last couple of weeks with some very serious migraine headaches, missing work, and he's not able to be here this weekend. Would you just pray for Matt Mm -hmm. as you remember that? Because it's part of an amazing story. Rose, before we move on to prayer, I I think it's important to just talk about one facet in the area of forgiveness. Mm -hmm. You said some powerful things about forgiveness today, and, and all of us have our junk. And I I think as a pastor for years, I've seen people who sort of define forgiveness in meaning that I have to just forget it ever happened. I have to just treat them the same as though it never happened. It's almost like I need to be their friend again. Talk to us a minute about why that isn't necessarily what forgiveness really is and how you look at it. Yeah, that's good. You know, just in going through this journey, I realized there's some real barriers to forgiveness. And one was what I talked about is, is feeling like, like forgiveness either diminishes that or condones evil or makes it so it didn't hurt me and I can't acknowledge that. And that's not true. But another barrier to forgiveness is feeling like forgiveness or believing forgiveness equals reconciliation. And it doesn't because reconciliation is something that takes some time and trust has to be reestablished. And it's not even always appropriate for reconciliation to happen. When it does, that's great. But forgiveness truly is a process and it means releasing another from that debt that they owe. Being able to release that over to God. And by doing that, it's incredible the freedom that it gives to move forward in life. You know, Steve, your husband, who's here today, mm-hmm. Steve, I'm going to have you stand yes. in just a minute. <laughs> um, he, this is Steve. They, they have done an amazing job. His part in the story was just unbelievable how he responded to Matt uh, and, and this story. Anyway, uh, we just thank you for being here today. Would you say thanks one more time to Stephen Ray? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, 
I want us I want us to pray together because I think it's really important for me to say this and it's tough. We actually have people in our church family over the years who have similar stories that did not end so well. And sometimes we hear a story like this and we immediately think, well, why didn't it turn out? Why didn't it work out? Where was God in my dilemma? Some of you have lost loved ones in accidents or things that God didn't seem to break through and redeem and save. I don't know the answer to that. But I know that God loves you. I know that God can rebuild in you the things that you have lost. Though they'll never be fully replaced, ever. God is a God who loves and cares about your future. And He knows you better than you know yourself. And He is trustworthy. I believe that with all of my heart. Lord, I want to just come to You with, with this family today. We, we sometimes don't know how to pray, but we come with a confidence and a boldness that You're a God who loves us and cares about us. And You know our pain and our deepest need. With heads bowed today, just as you contemplate some things, this is a pretty serious moment, and I, I just I want you to be able to raise your hand in confidence that no one else is really looking around. It's not even for me. It's just for you. It's the first part of that release. And I have two things that I want you to respond to. The first one is those of you that would say, I'm not sure I understand forgiveness. And, and hearing this today changes some of my perspective, and I'm going to raise my hand to be prayed for because I need the grace from God to be able to be detached from from the burden of being vindictive on someone else. I, I need to move on with my life. I need to hand them over to a God who is just and right. I can't take care of that. I wouldn't even know how to start, but I need to start forgiveness with the idea that I just am cut loose to be free to go into my future. That's what it is, you guys. It doesn't fix everything, but it frees you to move forward. And if you would just want to raise your hand and let me pray over you, I'm going to just raise it right now, real high. Raise it up to God and just put it right back down. Lord, we are a church. You know, your hand is upon us. We love each other. And we love you. And we need, we need you to come and help us today deal with these things that get harbored deep in our hearts and lives that we feel like we can't even control some of the emotions that almost overtake us. We offer this to You. May this day actually change our life forever. May we mark it on our calendar and say, this day was a new beginning for me. God, let it be that kind of a day for these. Let it start something new and fresh in their life. Help us to understand forgiveness and to forgive, to be released, to move forward, and to leave the pain in your hands. Be our comfort. Be our peace. Secondly, I need you to raise your hand in a moment if you're on the other side of that coin and you need to apologize. It might not be near this extreme, but it might just mean that you need to say you're sorry to somebody. And maybe it's partly their fault too. Forget that own your part. They may not speak to you. They might not respond. They might say, sure, right, whatever. But if you can mean it from your heart and you say, I've done my part, then you're free to move on. You're free to say, I can't live under this guilt and shame anymore. 
If you're truly sorry and you say, I need to say that to somebody because of a situation in my life, would you please raise your hand? I just want to pray over you. Okay. God bless you. Lord, help us in this moment to understand the power of saying, I'm sorry. Give courage to those who need to say those words and mean them with all their hearts. We trust you. We ask you to help us, to release us, to be about this. Thirdly, I ask you, God, to help people in this room who were like Matt, bound up by addiction, by being trapped in their own life and sin. I just pray that you will release people today to be free in you and to trust you, to bring their addictions to you. We trust you for that today, Lord. And if there's anyone that doesn't know you personally, I pray today they would just say, Lord, forgive me. Cleanse me. I run to you. I come to you. I want to be your daughter. I want to be your son. I'll live for you the rest of my days. I trust you and I accept forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. I love you guys. Rose wrote a book. It's called Desperate Hope. Now this is an interesting book and I need to... I need to say a couple things about it if you think you might want to buy it. It's two stories. It's Rose's story and it's Matt's story. And it's told side by side where as she's looking up seeing this man in this darkness, the next thing is him saying what he's seeing in this woman and what he's intending to do. And it kind of goes like that, the whole thing. It's very well written. It's a story of hope, but it is very graphic. And... If you're planning on buying this for someone who's younger, you make sure you read it first. And Matt goes into his incredibly horrible addiction as, as a little boy. I mean, nine, ten years old of, of, of the severe type of pornography and drugs and alcohol abuse. And just, just a terrible addiction in his life. And yet, at the same time, he gets married. He has three kids. And how God is using this whole thing in prison and the horrible things that happen to him in prison... It's, it's pretty real, okay? But it's $15, or they've priced it so that if you buy two, it's $20, hoping that you'll, if you know of someone you can give one away to that might need it, that you would be open to doing that. Rose is going to be out at a table. There's two tables out there. One, just to buy the book if you need to get out of here so that you're not stuck in a line. But if you want her to sign it or you want to talk to her, then she's at a separate table where you can take your book over and let her sign it and talk to you. But it's a powerful book. The second thing... Um, is we are we just put on our website two days ago. If you've been to our website, you saw one of the banners. One of the banners that comes up is says, Share Your Story. Over the coming months, we plan on doing more stories like this one today. And you have a story. We have some amazing stories here at Timberline of God's grace and redemption. If you would be kind enough to go to that website and just click on Share Your Story. Some of you need to share your story and let us tell it with your permission and your help like we did this weekend. So if you're open to that, just check it around. Pray about it. Think about it. That'll be up for the next few months. We're going to take our offering right now. Ushers, would you come? And thank you for your patience today. What a, what a powerful story. You guys, thank you for, for giving unto the Lord, for giving financially through Timberline, believing in our mission to be a church that gives it away and trusts to make a difference. You're awesome. I love you for that. So God bless you. Again, sing this song. And I have one final powerful thing to tell you when our offering is done. So hang around just for an extra minute. Sing it from your heart.